and welcome to The Turning Point, a weekly show that's being created to help you overcome the challenges of having the career you always dreamed of. Together, we're going to be learning how to overcome those obstacles that may stand in your way. My guests will give you an insight into their own turning point and what issues they came across when starting their journey to a happier working life. Today's guest is Rob Lawrence, and in a previous life, he earned a six-figure salary, which we'd all like, as a manager in technology in both the UK and Australia. But now he's a podcaster, qualified audio producer, and a coach who helps entrepreneurs and business leaders embrace the power of sound. Rob, that sounds exciting. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on the show. No, my pleasure. So I guess let's start at career version one. Mm. technology is one of those words that means a hell of a lot. So let's dig into that. Yeah, right. So starting way back when, um, I had various jobs, sort of factory jobs, packing jobs, those kinds of things when I, when I first left school, but then got into the uh, career proper. I kind of fell into it, I suppose, in, in some respects. I was lucky enough to leave school with a couple of computing qualifications. And uh, that set me up quite nicely when I was uh, a candidate on a um, temporary agency's uh, database, I suppose, and um, ended up doing like a, 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 I think like a week's temp work kind of, um, if I remember, I was categorizing assets, IT assets. But one thing led to another and I ended up on a help desk in a, in a firm. And then in no time at all, I seemed to climb the ranks. And I would say that's as much to do with not so much my own abilities, but just having good managers at that time, seeing potential i suppose and uh yeah before i knew it i was into my mid-20s and i was leading teams of desktop analysts you know the people that go around your building or your company and you know fix fix the connection to the printer and that kind of stuff so we were doing all that kind of uh day-to-day firefighting and then worked for some pretty big organizations and that was good fun i really liked the people i worked with and i actually really enjoyed the work too because um, it was quite analytical. It was solving problems and for that matter, very different problems on a daily basis. So for quite a long time and certainly on the, the up curve, I really did enjoy it and it kept me in there. The money was good. The work was challenging and interesting for me. Uh, but I think it reached a peak perhaps around about my late 20s, early 30s, where I just found myself starting to burn out. I would reached quite a high level of responsibility quite early on. Thankfully, I felt I was able to handle that. Um, But I think what happened for me is the problems changed, the challenges changed. And I think over time, I just found myself getting less and less interested in the work. And I think also the environment had changed too. Um, You know, when I first started out and compared to when I, you know, 10, 15 years later, um, a lot had changed in the technology world. And um, by the end of the career, I was sort of managing teams that put servers into data centers and did all that kind of fancy stuff. And uh, it was interesting, but perhaps just not interesting enough for me. And there were a couple of times I can remember quite vividly where I was just burning out. Just too much work, too much management, too much stress. I think it wasn't just one thing. I think it was a combination of a number of things. I think that... I don't know. I never remember the work being too hard and I never remember the work like keeping me there all hours of the day. I definitely had a social life. Um, but I think it was more a case of um, the work to some degree was complex 
and it was challenging and the subject was deep and the challenges we had were wide and impactful and what i mean by that is you know that there, there was a there was a degree of significance in the work that we did so you know big changes had a big effect on the overall organization and i think with that comes some responsibility and it wasn't so much the responsibility but it was the complexity of the challenges and i think it's one of these things it's a case of choosing your battles um i got some fabulous career advice once and it was basically every job uh, every career every business comes with challenges so choose the ones you enjoy fixing and i think yeah. what happened for me was that i just no longer enjoyed fixing those types of challenges either that i can't remember specifically the challenge with hindsight is that it's really hard to remember exactly what the driving forces were at the time but reflecting now some 10 15 years later i'm looking back thinking well i think i just i was uninterested in fixing those kinds of problems and i felt that my own creativity and i realize now that i'm a very creative person was getting stifled in that environment and that's that's not necessarily a poor reflection on the environment or the company or the people i worked with i think it's just a, a bad fit i think the person i am deep down inside and the environment that i was in were no longer compatible if that makes sense yeah well as as, as time goes on people change the different they, they find out different things about themselves by almost by accident that for in some cases but like you say if 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 you feel deep down that there's something that's not quite right then it's it's always going to bug you so there's there's going to be a breaking point absolutely yeah i think there was there were a couple of times where there were breaking points and i think the danger with that burning out that is is it creeps up on you it's not something uh, nowadays i can spot it but back then i had no idea it existed and i didn't know that's what was happening you know um like i say it's hard to actually put my mind back to exactly how I was feeling and what was going on for me at that time but I do remember some degree of detachment I just felt felt myself more and more detached from the work that I was doing and I think that was a clue no, knowing that now I think detachment is a clue that you know it could be the the early signs of burnout and maybe going down the wrong path um Knowing not what I know now, would I have done things differently? Well, it's hard to say because the, the times were different and the opportunities were different back then. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, through you know various kind of um, paths at the time, I suppose of exploration, I realised that that was no longer the career I wanted, and um, yeah, I just had to do something about it, basically. And what what were those paths of exploration? Well, a couple of things, really. The first move for me was to move to Australia. So I'd always had an ambition to get over to Australia by the time I was 30. And so my first move was, I, and it took a long time to make this decision because I felt the weight of giving up everything in my career. I, I, I thought I was literally just, you know, killing my career by leaving my career behind in the UK and moving to Australia. Um, but that couldn't have been further from the truth because in no time at all in Australia, I found quite quickly that the skills that I had were quite sought after and could demand a very good salary and standard of living over there. So before I knew it, and this was quite shocking actually for me, that this moment was six months after living in Australia, I found myself behind a computer screen faced with the same problems that I was dealing with on the other side of the earth. And I was right. like, hang on a minute. Um, and 
that was an important lesson for me because what I realized is the Australian climate, the sunshine and the sea and the different lifestyle, which was fabulous, um, didn't make up for the dispassion in my job, if that is a mm. word. Um, and yeah, I think the big lesson there was you can change all of these other things in your life. Um, but if that, that work isn't for you, um, then it's not for you. And I remember, I remember vividly thinking to myself over in Australia that if I could change anything right now, if I could choose to do something different right now with my time, that's what it would be. Um, so I did something about that. And the turning point there for me was, I guess one of the paths was the fact that one of the things I really liked about being a manager was the coaching aspect of my role, looking after other people and helping them self-develop. I didn't know the term self-development at the time, but I really enjoyed that aspect of the role. And I wanted to explore that coaching stuff as it was 10 years ago a bit more. And I remember seeing in a newspaper an article or rather an advert for a, a coaching course in Australia. And it just it just grabbed me. It really appealed to me. And I was like, I'd, I'd rather be doing that right now than, than, than entertaining this career that I have here. And, um, so I carried on working for a bit longer and, um, did a kind of phased, I didn't just kind of hand in my resignation and disappear. I did a kind of a, a phased resignation during which time I saved as much money as I could. And I was quite lucky at the time that the Australian lifestyle wasn't quite as expensive as it is today and because I was able to command a good salary I was able to put away quite enough uh, quite a lot of money and enough money to sustain myself for a few months while I did this self-paced course on coaching and got qualified in that and then that was really my first um, proper attempt at being an entrepreneur I suppose I didn't even know I was being entrepreneurial I just thought I was starting up a small business and that was that was the that was the first step. So what what was it in particular that, that pulled you to sort of coaching? Did, was it was it the sort of freedom um, that's going to be associated with that, or was it just was it down to a new challenge? Mm. What were the specifics of it? Yeah, I mean there was all sorts of things going on for the people I was working with in the organisations I was working at. And I wanted to help them solve some of their more personal challenges. And I realized I didn't really have that many skills and abilities to do that. So whilst I had, you know, good business muscle, I wasn't really able to help them on the personal side of things. And I felt that was a limitation. So I had that on the one hand. Um, I didn't know this at the time, but I think I actually needed the skills that I learned through the coaching course for myself. And mm -hmm. that was a big benefit once I got stuck into the um, course material because I soon realized that to be able to coach other people effectively you have to do a tremendous amount of introspection and work on your own game first and so that journey didn't really begin with a, a, a flourishing business but actually a couple of year, a couple more years worth of introspection and exploration for me um, I tried all sorts of things to kind of see what I liked and what I didn't like um, but that's what the coaching taught me. So I think that to answer your question in terms of what appealed to me, I think what appealed to me is the fact that here was a, it wasn't so much the qualification, the qualification was more kind of the end of the journey, but here was a journey that was available to me that was help, that was going to help me and others. And that's what I felt I needed right then. I suppose that 
like you say, you you didn't realize that you were you were doing all this learning yourself, and that you you turns out you kind of needed that. But so it also helps you put your own spin on it and your unique um, twist on the services that you're going to provide because. I mean, you can you, you can go it many different ways when you've kind of when you've had to practice what you preach. Um, so you can use examples of um, things how you've applied it to things that you've done. Um, but again, it's getting in that personality, isn't it? Because it's coaching's all that is, is the communication. It is all about communication, and I think what I've learned about coaching when it's done well is that it's a dance of a dialogue in sorts, and it's about asking the right questions at the right time. And it's about reflection. A lot of it's actually quite reflective, but in the present moment. So it's not reflective in the sense that you go, you look, you kind of go through your, your past history with a fine tooth comb. It's more a case of like really kind of bringing your thoughts to the surface and reflecting on whether they're valid or serving you right now. Um, and also some of your beliefs and where you think you're heading, you know, is, is that truly where you want to be heading? And I think that um, with all of that in mind, when I was going through my um, qualification and when I was being supervised and challenged with some of the work that I was doing um, to get qualified, it was it was tremendously healthy for me to actually challenge some of my beliefs and what I believed, you know, for example, a career should look like or what a job should look like or what my purpose was at that time or or, or even what it means to have a life purpose in that sense. I think it was nice to have all of these things, which were probably quite subconscious to me at the time, have those things challenged. And how did that, how did that pan out? What did that look like when you challenged them? Uh, fascinating, actually. It, I, I mean, it's, a, it's almost a kind of a classic story in the sense that you speak to most people about coaching and then the next conversation you're having is you're exploring your childhood and it was kind of actually very much like that for me uh, I started going back further and further in time because one of the classic things you do in coaching is to reflect on times where things were working really well and you kind of analyze some of the components that may have contributed to that and I suppose in terms of my journey where it's led up to today one of the insights that I got whilst I was uh, studying coaching was that I was particularly passionate and interested in sound and music and is, is, is that something that you that you had before or is it something you just stumbled across yeah i think once i kind of entertained it 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 surfaced really quickly it was really obvious to me and i could almost kind of plot out then if i looked at going back to what we were discussing earlier in terms of you know starting to feel flat about my career um Early on in my career, I was still a gigging musician and I was recording and writing music and I really enjoyed that. But as my career got more and more intense and I got more focused on doing really well in my career, so studying and kind of doing exams and getting qualifications around my career and doing all the social stuff that comes with that lifestyle, as, as that lifestyle progressed, I suppose, I was doing less and less music. And I could almost probably plot some kind of emotional graph to demonstrate how the less music I played or the the less of that activity I participated in the more unfulfilling my professional career became if you see what I mean yeah so I, I think one of the big insights for me when I was studying was that um, you know sound and music are incredibly important to me creativity is incredibly important to me as is having connection with people which is you know those were activities that I would partake in as a way of 
developing a meaningful connection with people. And I'd lost touch with that. And I think what surfaced very quickly when I first got into coaching full time was I need that in my life and it needs to be a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. And and, and like you say, going into the coaching and doing things your own way will also give you that freedom. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're right there, Dan. I think one of the appealing aspects of getting the coaching qualification is it was, I think at the time, like the second fastest growing industry in Australia. Uh, But that wasn't the reason I was interested. What I was interested in is working for myself, having that freedom, having what I felt was a useful um, skill that I could sell and then being able to create a lifestyle that I wanted around that. And as time has passed, lifestyle has become more and more important. And now when I try and make decisions, I try and put the lifestyle first and then the business decisions second. And that by no means means I'm lazy in my business or, you know, I don't give my clients the care that I believe is is well deserved. But um, I think that if you get the lifestyle component wrong, if if you're not well in yourself, if you're not in good shape, you're not of great value to other people. So that's that's a really important lesson that I've learned burning out from the corporate career and kind of going through my my coaching journey since. It's interesting you you bring that up because only this afternoon like only a few hours ago I was driving back from um Liverpool with a friend and we got talking about that that kind of thing and how you often start out thinking what can I do rather than thinking about it of what what do I want to? So therefore, rather than thinking, what can I do is kind of putting pressure on, mm. uh, coming at it, say from the top down, Absolutely. Um, but thinking of what, what, do, what, what's needed, what would people want from me? And what do I, re, what do I want to do? Uh, sort of coming at, coming at it from the bottom and seeing, and that way I feel that you can rather than forcing something, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit more open than you can sort of fit it around whatever you want, whatever other things you've got going on. So it, feels much more at ease yeah i think there's a few things you've hit on there dan which are really important um the first thing is that i think that i don't know whether it's something that's just embedded in our own culture um in in western culture perhaps but there's this belief and this was something that was a surprise for me going through my own journey i had this belief that work was difficult work was hard you know to be doing a job and if it was tough and busy and hard that that was normal you know, that's just what work is. Um, but then I was meeting people and I meet people and I speak to people on a weekly basis now on my own podcast that uh, it's quite the opposite. They really do absolutely love their lives, love the work that they do. And none of it's a struggle for, for some of them. And well, it stops being work, doesn't it? Exactly. So, yeah, I, I thought that was that was fascinating, yet they're still paid handsomely for that work. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, that was one of the big beliefs that I had to really turn around in my own mind was that work shouldn't be hard. Work doesn't have to be busy to be productive and really well paid. Uh, still working on that. But you know what? It's It's been life changing to know that. And I mean, that's one of the that's one of the never ending goals, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, the thing I, I find most when when going into the studio is that if I I'm I'm a morning worker, mm. so I much prefer to get up a I wouldn't say four or anything like that, but six ish. If it was if there was something to do, I much prefer to get there get there at six or seven, 
and I, I could get everything. I could get a day's worth of work done between between starting at six or seven and nine, mm. as in comparison to being there starting work at nine and finishing at five, because most of the time it tends to be being in the studio on my own before anybody else arrives. The phones don't ring. There's nobody asking other questions, and you can just blitz through whatever whatever's in front of you. And I, like I say, being a morning person, I I can get in get get the things that I need to have done. And I, if need be, I can finish early and, and I can sort of enjoy the li- uh, enjoy my lifestyle and my social life. Yeah, but absolutely. Obviously, that's it's not something that I, I, I do every day because a lot of the time it's not really required. And I, do, I enjoy the team environment, but you can get so much done with just with that focus. And it, when need be, when you can just blast it out and think, God, it would ordinarily would have taken me all day. But then you're just like, wow, I should do this more often. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I think the the important thing is there is finding your 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 sort of power stroke really, and knowing when you work. It works differently for for different people, but I share that with you, Dan. I think my morning is the most effective time. That tends to be the time I'm most on it. Um, but what's really nice about having your own business and working for yourself is that you're able to identify what your energy is like at different times of the day and then you can begin to map out a schedule that works really well for you and the nice thing about that is you don't have to work nine to five some days you could just put a couple of hours in or three hours in some days and you get your most effective work done in that time and that's sometimes all you need to do to be really productive yeah i i did an interview the other day and he said he worked um he was self. He was running his own business, and he'd worked uh, X amount of years, uh, and then he decided to work four days, and now he gets the same amount of work done in those four days as he did five because he ha- he has to be more focused. Yeah, I read an article the other day. It's really interesting that, um, but it reminded me of an article I read the other day, which was, uh, you know, there are companies now that they're insisting that their employees do five hour days because they're getting more effectiveness out of that. They've been experimenting with this stuff. And uh, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, that, it's, that's a very interesting sort of outlook on it. And I think they would take a bit of a time to change. And I think you might cycle some staff with that mm. um, because of output. But I, th- yeah, I think with the right mentality, you'd, it'd be great, yeah. yeah. Obviously, it's going to work. What it depends what service you're offering and and how you're mm-hmm. offering that service and yeah there's all sorts of things to consider when you make a shift like that but I just think I think it's a fascinating because if nothing else it's a reflection of how our lives are changing now I think the careers that we're leading the um, the corporate environment in itself is changing a lot I'm sure it's changed a lot since I was in there and um, I think what's fascinating is just to see the fact that it's actually ever evolving. And I think with that come new opportunities for all of us. We come to the, we come to after we've spoken about your coaching stuff, Mm -hmm. before we get onto the podcast side of things, Mm. obviously you've gone from, you've you've already had kind of one turning point already, I guess. I've had hundreds, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, well, at various different levels. So I wouldn't say I've had a hundred big ones. There's probably been a handful of big turning points in my life. Um, But underneath all of that, I think there's just, there are turning points every day for all of us. I think that's the truth. And uh, it's important to recognize those. And I think at the same time, it's important to remember that, you know, 
change is inevitable. I mean, it's one of the... Embrace it. Yeah, exactly. And embrace the change and turning points. I think for some people, they they get daunted by the term turning point, but I I actually just relish the idea. I I, I love it when there is a turning point um, because you, you literally do not know what's around the corner. And that's been something that's always surprised me. Um, so yes, I mean, since Australia, there have been a big, uh, couple of turning points for me. I suppose the first one was the decision to come back to the UK. So that was a, that was a turning point and that wasn't a linear journey either. And that's the one thing I would say about certainly a a creative lifestyle or entrepreneurial type lifestyle is that they tend to be non-linear. These things don't necessarily make sense as they're happening, but looking back on them, I can kind of see how the dots line up now. Um, but when I was learning to coach, I obviously got back into music quite quickly when I realised I needed a big part of that as my life to be happy, I suppose, and connected with a couple of Australian musicians. They had a deep desire to come over and play in Europe. And with Europe being my backyard, having come from there, I was quite happy to take these young, energetic Australian musicians over to Europe. But I said, look, I know the UK quite well, so let's do it differently, you know, so that it kind of gives me a bit of a thrill in that sense. And we decided to move and live and play music in Berlin, which was great fun. And um, I, I was able... Just been to Berlin this year. I got taken there in my stag do. Absolutely fantastic city. We did do some good stuff, although it was a stag, but it was a fantastic city. Uh, it's an amazing city. Yeah, I absolutely loved the place. So I had the privilege of living there for quite a few months, for the best part of 2009, actually. And uh, But I found myself playing more and more in London, which was kind of weird. So I And given that I grew up around Oxford, I kind of thought, well, this is silly. I might as well just move back to the UK now. And sure enough, mm-hmm. that's what I did. So one thing led to another. And actually, I was just to kind of fill in a gap there. Um, yeah, the coaching got me back into the music, but also I was kind of coaching musicians and artists at that time as well. And that was fantastic. And I was really inspired by them. I think um, something that's often overlooked is if you teach something, you, you're as much of a student as you are a teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was coaching younger folks, it was they, they were inspiring me in different ways. And they really did open my mind up to all sorts of possibilities. And off the back of that, I think that's how Berlin came about. And then as I kind of gravitated back to my home turf, uh, I met my now wife, who's a photographer, and um, her and I, d- we decided to go and run a ski chalet for a winter season. So we did that. That sounds awesome. It was awesome. It was one of those conversations in the co-op in like some mid-February and we, we'd not long met and we were just sharing things that we've done in our life and things that we would like to do in our life. And that was one of the things that came up for me. I said, you know what? I'd have always fancied the idea of snowboarding for the whole winter season. I'd have loved to have that's, run a show. That's one thing on my bucket list. I'm a, I, I'm a snowboarder and I'd, I'd love to just go out for a season. Yeah. And I can tell you it's absolutely worth it. So if you have to give everything up, in your life to do that, it's well worth it. <laughs> You're asking the wrong person there for encouragement. Turning point coming up, ladies and gentlemen. I am moving. <laughs> um, it was everything and more. It was fabulous. We we ran the chalet in a little place called La Rosière on the French-Italian border. And it was probably the hardest work I've done in my life, but I loved every second of it. Um, it's quite weird. I never, ever thought I'd have a career in the catering industry, but I guess that's kind of what it was running a chalet because we're cooking, cleaning and running the chalet from top to bottom every day, six days a week for 19 weeks and saw over 200 guests come through the chalet. Uh, But it was a wonderful chalet. It was wonderful on Monday mornings to either be looking out of the kitchen window, uh, all the other resorts down the valley and or um, being on a, um, a chairlift 
crossing the Italian border, looking at Mont yeah. Blanc, going, this is a Monday morning. Um, and for those that, that don't know, and I've never been skiing or snowboarding, running a chalet is a monumental task because there is a lot of food to be consumed because of the energy that you you use up in a full day on the mountain. Oh, you're so right, Dan. I mean, I think running up and down three flights of stairs in the chalet and then going skiing every after, well, snowboarding every afternoon, uh, it was without question the fittest I've ever been. <laughs> I remember, I, I remember when I went, when I first went, I was thinking, we got there the first day and they brought out this food. I was like, I'm full after the second course. And they brought five. I was like, there's absolutely no chance I can eat any of this. And the two people I was with said the same, but the second, the second day it was like, oh my God, it shoveled it down. <laughs> I, I fully believe that. So I, I, I think I remember reading something just, just while we're digressing is that I think on a mountain, if you have a full day on a mountain, you uh, snowboarding or skiing, you burn between between six and 8,000 calories or something crazy like that on a full day. So yeah, I definitely felt that. Yeah. It, I think that would explain why I got so fit. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it was quite a remarkable experience. So we've had, we've had London to Australia. Mm. We've had Australia to Berlin. Mm-hmm. We've had, um, Berlin to, did you say Italy, was it? Yeah. So kind of Berlin back to the UK and then quite soon after ended up yeah, it was it was in France, but it was right next to the Italian on border. The border. Yeah, that's a lot of moves. Yeah, and not it's not like just moving house normally from maybe one village to another or a town to a city or a city to a city, but yeah. <laughs> continents. Mm. Yeah, you learn about a lot about yourself. I think putting yourself in all these different situations, and um, yeah, I, I think what helped me was traveling light in the end. I mean, I had all my stuff shipped out to Australia and then it got shipped back again. And I realized how much stuff I had because when it first came out, I got rid of a load of it. And then when it came back again, I got rid of a load more. And then what I did have, I put in storage for a while when I went off and did these various other explanations. Um, But I mean, it's, you know, I think looking back on it, Dan, one of the things I had, it was a mindset thing and I had to kind of give up, uh, give that stuff up for a bit because I think that one of the things that would have prevented me from doing all that cool stuff would have been the fact that I would have had to maintain a house to keep it all in. And, you know, choosing not to stay on the property ladder was one of my big choices so that I could do all of that stuff. And that was a big decision. I, I won't underestimate that. Um, but like I say, I mean, you don't have to make decisions that big. But for me, that I felt I didn't really have a choice because I was just pulled in that direction so strong. But what I like about the underlying tone of that is you've got sort of the clear aspirations and things that you want to do and want to achieve. And you you sort of planned from that. You planned for that by, like you just mentioned there, I'm just picking up on it because we're just talking about the moving, is travelling lightly and getting off the property ladder, which gives you, opens you up to a whole well an entire planet of freedom really Mm. um which not a lot of people are in a position to necessarily do quickly i mean there's i would imagine it's people who are living in the big cities they're probably already renting anyway so they've they've got that but getting off the property ladder when you've got a mortgage i mean that's a that's a big thing that and to have faith in what you want to do and and choosing that sort of lifestyle, I mean, that's great. I, was, mm. I, I like sticking to that. I, like, I do. I do like. I do like that. Yeah, I think it does take a degree of courage. But like I say, I had 
you know, I had to work on my own mindset. There were things I, I wouldn't say it was all plain, simple and easy. Uh, those, yeah, those events, those those experiences did take some planning. But once the decision was made, Dan, I made, you know, I focused on it 100 percent and moved quickly. There was no turning back as far as I was concerned once the decision was made. And um yeah, I mean, being able to travel light was was useful. But again, I think what I've learned, and it's it's different for everybody, but for me, um, I learned that actually all that stuff didn't really matter. I mean, a lot of it I like, and, you know, there were things, you know, I love my gadgets and I love my toys, particularly sound equipment and guitars and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, they were nice to have. They weren't necessarily key to my fulfillment. I realized quite quickly that actually what, meant what what life means to me to leave a to live a meaningful life i suppose to put it that way um was all about just experience and having these experiences so to this day i mean it was some years ago now but running that chalet i remember vividly and it really was a turning point in my life and um i would love to go and do something like that again and if you're interested in doing that i would urge you to 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 explore it because uh it was just such a great experience for me um, but I wouldn't have been able to do that without having to kind of shift my own mindset about a number of things. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's having that mindset is, is a, a massive importance to have a, a sort of clear path of way, way you aim to be going. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really a case of just reassessing what's really important to you. I remember at times, and it's not that I lived my life like this, and this isn't an excuse to live life recklessly, but I do remember vividly back then at times thinking to myself, if I've only got a year to live, or if I've only got six months to live, what would I do with my life right now? And that can be quite a fun question to entertain if you tip it on its head, because you kind of, it does help you reassess whether what you're doing on a day-to-day basis has any meaning to you or not um yeah i, I agree and it, it does it, it it sort of forces you to because again like it's the hypotheticals aren't they but there is there is the ever-growing possibility that something like that's gonna happen it could happen yeah i think, um, I think- yeah, our time on earth is no guarantee um anything could happen to anyone and i think it's important that yeah, you live life responsibly and you plan for the long term, but don't just make it all about the long term. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, certainly that whole process of, you know, becoming a coach for me and all that introspection really helped me to understand what was important to me. And yeah. it came down to people and experiences. And then around that, what activities do I really enjoy engaging with people? And what experiences would I like to have so that if I did kill over tomorrow, uh, at least I was on the right path of, of trying to fulfill yeah. them. I mean, I don't use the, uh, the idea of if I've got six months to live or if I'm going to die next week, I always go down a, a slightly different route. And I don't know why, um, maybe because it is a hype. Hi- well, I'm hoping it's hypothetical, but I always think, what if my wife left me? I mean, I, I hope she doesn't. We've all been married a little over three months, but we've been together for 12 years since I was 16. Mm. Um, but I always think I would just drop absolutely everything and I would vanish. Mm. And just, and honestly, I think I'd be happy just being in a different country doing, doing a fine example would be being uh, an instructor on the top of a mountain, like just leave this country because just start again. Yeah. And I, I, but, and it, but it's the same sort of mentality. Like I said, I don't know why I'd always go to 
the wife leaving because that would be horrific. But um, it's, it, I, I might just, I'm going to, on conscious note, I'm going to flip that around. What if I'm going to die in six months and then readdress things? But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Just maybe a, a, a sort of sicker note. Yeah. I think, I think the important thing is, regardless of the question you ask, is it's just reframing things in a way that, helps you to reassess what your values are and what you believe in and whether you're living your daily life, I suppose, in accordance with those. And, you know, sometimes that stuff can be really obvious to you, but sometimes it does take a provoking question to kind of draw it out. Um, but it's important, I think, because um, it can be the key to like living a really fulfilling life if you can find some good answers from those types yeah, of questions. Yeah, it's, it's all right to ask yourself that question regularly and address it on a yearly basis, maybe even write it down and re- refer to it and see what, see how things have changed, see if you're closer to them, see if you've taken a turn to another towards another direction. Uh, but the important thing is, like you say, is, is having some sort of plan rather than being having a forced hand. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of things that can happen. I mean, I know a few people that have some terrible things happening in their life. That's forced change. So the worst thing has then led on to the best possible thing after that. You know, that's a pattern I often see, and I recognize this in my own life. If I'm going through a particularly difficult period, usually there's a really good change that or turning point, to be topical about it, that, that comes soon after. And I think now when I'm going through a, a really busy or really tough time, I just hold faith in the fact that actually this is probably the precursor to some kind of breakthrough or some kind mm-hmm. of turning point. So, yeah. And, and I think the more you end up in those situations or the more you put yourself in those situations with practice, you kind of get more used to it, if that makes sense. Because I think yeah. any big change, whether it's imposed upon you or whether you invoke it yourself in life will come with a degree of unrest and uncertainty, which can be in the short term quite stressful, uh, but in the long term, well worth it. I've found. And I quite I, I, about your sort of whole story in your past. I kind of like that. How different, different parts of your life careers uh, sort of brought you into now. What is sort of a, an amalgamation of all of them, really? So we've got uh, the coaching aspect, which. Um, you've got which you've obviously got the past experience with and then we've got the podcasting which has come from a love of audio and sound and it's all coming together into helping other creatives and entrepreneurs and businesses really and embrace this thing that of sound that's just exploded in the minute i mean particularly podcasting it's going through the roof podcasting is going crazy at the moment particularly in the uk and it's kind of nice not to be somebody that's just jumping on the bandwagon and somebody that's been in this for a while because i actually just genuinely love it um so for you know and i hope that you know i can remain as close to this stuff for the rest of my life as as i can um because i genuinely genuinely love it and i think you know, in some respects, Dan, and this may be an important lesson for all of us, is that sometimes things find you. Uh, I never, ever thought consciously about going into podcasting. Um, it was actually a number of opportunities coming towards me that I suddenly realized I was actually involved in podcasting. And um, what I'm saying there, I, I, I guess, is that, you know, as we've discussed, some of the, you know, turning points in my life were my decision but others you know like when i met my wife for example i didn't plan that it just happened we met and that and, and all of a sudden my my life took a turn at that point it was all it was like well it's not just me now it's us 
and where what do you want out of life and how can I help you fulfill your dreams and how can I fulfill my own at the same time and um that ended up with an audio production degree for me because my wife wanted to take a year out to study art and design to complement her photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, actually, I really fancy doing some studying too. So I ended up doing an audio degree. And then it was during that time that I set up another business, which was audio production. And people was, were then starting to approach me in terms of like, I understand you know a bit about audio and you've got a business background. Can you help me edit this stuff? And that stuff happened to be podcasts. So I just didn't appreciate it perhaps quite from the off but over yeah. time i suddenly realized hang on a minute i've got a business here and i'm actually in podcasting now so that's how it led to podcasting and like i say that kind of found me i didn't find it but it was kind of following my own curiosity that helped me kind of stumble into it if, if yeah i mean it, it's just a, it's about just doing things and seeing what sticks and by doing by virtue of doing those things you already like them so if something good's going to come out of that then you're on to a winner absolutely i mean a conversation i have a lot as a coach is you know people trying to find their purpose and the two key things that stick out for me is one take action because that's the fastest way you're going to get there thinking your way there will take forever so just if you're thinking about trying something just try it you'll get much more feedback and a lot more quickly and you'll know whether or not that's what you want to do, which kind of leads me to the second theme that really sticks out for me that I've learned through coaching. And that is most of the time finding out what it is that you're looking for is by finding out what it isn't. Um, For me, I would say that the last 10, 15 years of my life have actually been a process of erosion where I'm actually taking things as you've you know, like the material stuff on the one hand, but the mindset stuff on the other hand, you know, what's the question I always ask is, is does this positively serve me or not? And that could be a material thing. That could be a belief, a thought, an idea, or it could be something that I'm doing in my day. And if the answer is no, then I look at the quickest way I can move that thing out of my life. And then it's a bit like the old Michelangelo statue. Um, when he was asked, how did you create such a beautiful statue, David? He said, well, I just chipped away all the really bad stuff. <laughs> and for me, that just says it all. That's just great. Um, so I would obviously, well, we've you've done quite a lot. So obviously transitioning through each one of those and other things that you've come across, what would you what would you say is the biggest sort of, bit of advice that you've got for anybody either thinking about making a change who's going through a change or or has just about got there what would you say is the biggest thing from everything you've gone through at any of those stages that you would think if i wish i'd had known that i think if i wish i'd known that i wish i would have had somebody to tell me much earlier on than i realized this that it's really important to just trust the process and trust yourself through that process. Have have complete faith in yourself surviving that process. I think many of us forget that no matter what happens, our chances of survival are usually quite good. So, you know, they're kind of superficial changes more often than not. Um, but, but yeah, trust the process. These things always tend to work out, sometimes not as quickly as you'd like them to. Uh, but Nonetheless, I mean, if you're a good person and you've got a sort of a strong mind, I think that anything you put your mind to will work out eventually. But I would also add, you know, it it can pay dividends to be really open minded to to new opportunities, because sometimes what you think 
might be fulfilling is nowhere near as fulfilling as something else that might kind of put itself in in your path um so yeah that that would probably be my best advice in terms of you know embracing the change just i mean change is going to be inevitable whether you invoke it or whether life offers it so get comfortable with change trust the process trust yourself through that process and um be be willing to be surprised thank you very much you're welcome thanks so how can people learn a bit more about well I've, I've certainly learned a lot about rob lawrence how can uh, how can people sort of maybe ask any questions or get in touch or just generally find out a bit more well thanks for having me on the show dan and uh, i think i've learned more about rob lawrence just having this conversation so uh, <laughs> i appreciate you for that um yeah most people can find me at roblawrence.co and my podcast inspirational creatives is uh, inspirationalcreatives.com rob thank you once again Thank you so much for having me on the show, Dan. A pleasure. It's a very, very uh, insightful story and certainly one with uh, a lot of movement. It's certainly one that's moved around the most, I guess. <laughs> uh, and that's it for this episode of The Turning Point. I've been your host, Daniel Moore, and today's guest has been Rob Lawrence. Together, we can make one of life's biggest hurdles that much easier to overcome. 